Good morning, Church. The scripture for this morning is taken from Habakkuk 3. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to Shigianoth. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, and the Holy One from Mount Haran. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence, and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth, he looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting rains. I saw the tents of Kushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers? Or your indignation against the sea? when you rode on your horses, on your chariot of salvation. You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and risked. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You thrashed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of the people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me, Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the foal, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. To the choir master with stringed instruments. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, good morning, everyone. And thank you so much, Grace, for reading God's word from Habakkuk chapter 3. Uh, for those of you who have not met me, my name is Z. I'm the pastor of One Covenant Church. Uh, Pastor Po Liang, as he mentioned in his introduction, has become quite a dear friend to me. In fact, every time I talk to him, 
And every time I visit uh, Agape Baptist or I interact with some of the people, I feel that I have uh, so much to learn. And therefore, it's uh, quite a strange uh, sensation for me to be invited by Pastor Guoliang to come and preach to you. I'm actually not very sure uh, what I can contribute to you. Uh, but I'm glad. I'm glad this morning that he has uh, allowed me and asked me to unpack for you uh, this theme of fear to faith. And I will be looking at Habakkuk chapter 3 that was so well read for us this morning. And Pastor Paul Lang has also asked me to share a bit about our church planting journey. So if you hear me talking a lot about my church, uh, it's, it's not really my fault. Like, it's your pastor's fault. Okay? He asked me to share about One Covenant Church. Uh, we planted a church about three years ago, uh, and it's been an increasingly uh, interesting faith journey uh, for me and for my church as well. So why don't you join me in a word of prayer as we look at the book of Habakkuk and we unpack this theme of fear to faith. Lord, we need your Holy Spirit. Apart from your Spirit, we cannot understand your word. So we pray now, right now, you would pour out your Spirit on every person listening in, that they would grasp the very things that you are saying and writing upon their hearts this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, whenever I tell people that I started a church three years ago, quite often people will say, wow, you're very brave. Huh? You dare to do something like that. And every time I hear that, I get a bit nervous because the fact is, I don't feel very courageous at all. In fact, I'm, a lot of times, I'm not so sure about myself. But yet, although I don't feel courageous, what I must say is I do feel a sense of faith a sense of trust, a sense of knowing that God is in control and He will accomplish His purposes through me and through our church as we stay faithful to Him. Friends, the Dutch theologian Herman de Vink, he calls faith a trust-filled surrender to God and His word of promise. Let me say that again to you. A trust-filled surrender to God and His word of promise. Now, Bavink goes on to say that faith is the opposite of anxiety, of fear, of doubt, and of being troubled. It is unlimited confidence, the assurance, and the conviction of unseen things. Friends, are you feeling anxious today? Are you feeling doubtful? Or maybe fearful? Is your heart filled with many troubles as you consider the repercussions of COVID-19 in your personal life as well as in the nation of Singapore? Well, friends, God's word is here to meet you with faith. You see, Bavin goes on to say that faith, though it is so important, is sometimes that ebbs and flows in the Christian's life. There are times that we do doubt. There are times that we do face anxieties. There are times that we are troubled. But what we must do is to fight for faith. Now, how do we fight for faith? Well, we have an example here in Habakkuk chapter 3. Now, if you know anything about the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk was written in 600 BC. The timing of the book is 600 BC. The prophet Habakkuk is a righteous prophet and he's crying out to God in prayer. Almost the entire book of Habakkuk is his dialogue with God in prayer. He speaks and God responds to him. Now, why was he crying out to God? You see, in 600 BC, the nation of Judah was going through a time of political and moral chaos. The people were exploiting one another. It was a terrible, terrible time. They had denied the Lord their God, even though they confessed him with their lips. And prophet Habakkuk, in Habakkuk chapter 1, he complains to God. Not once, 
but twice. He calls out to God and he says, God, how can this be? Do something. Now the Lord answers God, uh, answers Habakkuk in chapter 1, verse 5. And he says to Habakkuk, Habakkuk, I will be raising up a vicious nation known as the Chaldeans or the Babylonians. And this vicious nation is going to judge your nation. And that is my answer to prayer. Well, be careful what you pray for, isn't it? Because that was not what Habakkuk was expecting. He's expecting God to do something to restore the nation of Israel. After all, these are God's chosen people. But the way that God answers is that he tells Habakkuk, I'm going to send judgment. I'm going to send judgment. Now Habakkuk cries out. He says, how can this be? And God's answer to him is, you must trust me. You must have faith that I will do what is good for you and for your nation. And so the prophet responds to God in prayer. He wrestles with God. He comes before God and he pours out his heart. He is honest before God. And Habakkuk chapter 3 concludes in this wonderful prayer that Habakkuk brings before God. And it's written down for us so that we also can benefit from this prayer. Do you know why? Because at the beginning of this prayer, Habakkuk is at a place of fear. But at the end of the prayer, he is at a place of faith. He's confident. He knows that God is faithful and will accomplish his purposes here on, mighty, uh, on earth by his mighty power. Uh, the great reformer John Calvin says that Habakkuk chapter 3 gives to us the materials of faith. What Calvin means there is that Habakkuk chapter 3 gives us the building blocks to build in our lives a strong faith in God in spite of the circumstances, in spite of all that is happening. What Habakkuk chapter 3 gives us is a move from fear to faith. So friends, if that's where you're at, and you need faith in your life this morning, if you're doubtful, if you're anxious, why don't you cry out to God right now and ask Him to take His Word, write it on your hearts, and move you, friends, from a place of fear to a place of faith. We'll see here in Habakkuk chapter 3, there are three things that you need to do to move from fear to faith. You need to rehearse, you need to remember, and you need to resolve. Let me say that again. You need to rehearse, you need to remember, and you need to resolve. Come with me now to Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 2. Now, in the New International Version, in the NIV, this is what Habakkuk starts with as he cries out to God. He says, Lord, I have heard of your fame, and I stand in awe of your deeds. Lord, I've heard of your fame. I've seen all the things that you've done and I stand in awe of your deeds. And then as he has begun, he moves on from verses 3 to 16 to rehearse to himself all that God has done in the history of his nation. And some of these things that he talks about in verses 3 to 16 happened many centuries before Habakkuk himself was born. But these History, this history of Israel was recorded and he is taking the recorded history and he is rehearsing it to himself and to his soul and he is telling it to us 
through his writing here. Now, did you know that researchers at Emory University in the US, they found that children who know about their ancestors and their family history were found to be better adjusted and more resilient. Now, this is what the researchers say. There's something powerful about actually knowing your stories. Family stories provide a sense of identity through time and help children understand who they are in the world. Now, you know that's true of yourself and myself as well. As we understand our family histories, they may be not as glorious, not as wonderful. There are highs and there are lows. But as we understand where we come from, it gives us a sense of identity. It gives us a sense of purpose. It gives us a sense of our place in this world and how we can move forward, uh, how we can move forward in this world. And this is exactly what Habakkuk is doing here. He is accessing the stories of his ancestors. He's drawing down upon them. He's drawing down upon the past to build faith for the present. Now friends, do you know the stories? Do you know the stories of the Old Testament? Because they are your story too. Well, let's take a quick look at some of the major things that Habakkuk highlights for us here. Look at verse 3. He says here, God came from Taman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. Now, what exactly is Habakkuk talking about here? You see, Taman and Paran were the surrounding regions of Mount Sinai. So what he's referring to here is probably the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. I just heard that you are working your way through the book of Exodus. So this is a feature. God giving the law to his people on Mount Sinai. Now, why is that so significant in the life of Israel that Habakkuk should highlight it? Well, old Palmer Robertson, the Old Testament scholar, he says that the law of God is the external summation of God's will. God has a will. He has a desire. And the law reveals his will, reveals his desire to his people. And so when God gives his law to his people, he is saying to them, this is my will for you. He's saying to them, you are my people. He's constituting them into a nation. And he is saying, I am your God. You are my people. It was a significant moment in history where God says, I am giving to you my will. I'm giving to you my plans and desires for you. I'm making you my people. I'm constituting you as a nation, Israel, and I'm calling you my own. So Habakkuk recalls the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. He says, this God, has made us his own. We might not understand all that is happening in this world, but we know that God has given us his law and he has made us his own. And the God who has made us his own will lead us and will protect us even through peril. Then he goes further back in history. In verse 5, he says, Before God, before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heel. Now, even before the giving of the law, the people of God were enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. But God, through 10 powerful plagues, delivered them out of Egypt. 
So Habakkuk here is reminding himself and rehearsing the exodus from Egypt. You know, they did nothing to deserve this. In fact, they were a very uh, disgruntled people. And yet God, in his sheer grace, heard their cry for mercy, came down from heaven, and delivered them. Look at verse 8. Was your wrath against the rivers? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea? Again, he's reminding them of how God had delivered them through the Red Sea. Even when they were powerless, even when they were pursued to the edge of the Red Sea by Pharaoh's army, when everything seemed hopeless, God came. He split the Red Sea and they walked through on dry land. And when their enemies pursued them, God let the waters loose and saved his people. He's reminding them again, God, before he even constituted us as a people, this God delivered us from our enemies. He delivered us from slavery. And that's why Exodus is such an important book of the Bible. It's the theme of Exodus is picked up throughout the scriptures because it is a time where God in his grace meets his people and delivers them by sheer grace. So he's reminding himself, number one, of the giving of the law. He's reminding himself of the exodus from Egypt. Now look at verse 11. The sun and moon stood still in their place. He's picking up the conquest of Canaan under Joshua. This you can find in Joshua chapter 10. It's called the battle at Gibeon. In this battle, God gave the victory to Joshua by making the sun stand still. Now, why? Why was that necessary? Well, to give enough sunlight for the armies of Joshua to fight and win. Friends, this is a God who can make the sun stand still in order to give victory to his people. And this, friends, is part of the story of Israel that Habakkuk is rehearsing to himself. Now, friends, as you hear these stories, do you feel that they are twice removed? Yes, I mean, that's true for the nation of Israel. That's true for Habakkuk. That's true for Moses. That's true for Joshua. But surely it can't be true for me. I am here in Singapore in 2020. How can all these stories be relevant for me? Well, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 29, the Apostle Paul tells us that if you are Christ, if you belong to Christ by faith, then you, Galatians 3.29 says, are Abraham's offspring. Do you know that what that means, friends? All of these stories in the Old Testament were never just meant for Israel. They were pointing forward to Jesus Christ. And through Jesus Christ and through faith in Jesus Christ, you become an offspring of Abraham. You become an heir to all of the Old Testament promises. You become an heir to the story of your fathers, of your ancestors. Abraham is your father. You are an offspring of Abraham. Joshua 
Moses, these are your ancestors, meaning that this is not just the history of Israel. Friends, this is your history. This is not just the story of Israel. This is your story and my story. When we have faith in Christ, all the stories of the Old Testament become our stories, become your story, become my story. It becomes to us a resource that we can access by faith. We can access the past for the present. We rehearse to ourselves the mighty acts of God in the lives of our ancestors, of our fathers. And that gives us a sense of trust that what he did in the past, he will do again in the present. And friends, that is what Habakkuk is crying out for in Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 2. I've heard of your fame. I stand in all of your deeds. Renew them in our day, in our time. Make them known. Friends, is that your experience as you read the Holy Scriptures? Are you crying out to God like Habakkuk? I've heard of your fame. I'm reading it. I stand in awe. But you don't just stop there, friends. You cry out to God what you did in the past to make us your people, what you did in the past to deliver us by grace, what you did in the past to manipulate nature itself to give us the victory. Lord, do that again in our day, in our time. Make your glory and your fame known. Friends, rehearse the mighty acts of God in history and cry out to Him in prayer to make those acts renewed and refreshed in our day and in our time. And friends, you know what? God is also inviting you to write new stories of His intervention in your life through His Son, Jesus Christ. One of the big challenges that we face uh, in planting a church in Singapore is really to find space and place to meet. Now with COVID-19, uh, not so much an issue lah, because you can just uh, live stream from home. Uh, but most small churches find it very difficult to find a place to meet. It's always, uh, always, almost always too costly. And um, you, know, you have all kinds of regulations uh, that you have to deal with. So we started our church in 2016 uh, in my small uh, apartment uh, in Tiong Bahru. And, you know, we started with like six people meeting for prayer. And it started growing to a point that, you know, uh, the aircon was not cold anymore because we had about 20 or 30 people uh, in this tiny apartment. I was also getting a bit worried that the neighbors uh, would complain. So we started looking for a place to meet. But here we were, you know, not even a properly constituted church. I think we didn't even have a name at that point in time. And we're trying to find a place to meet after about six months uh, meeting in my house. Uh, we were looking for a place to meet and everything was just so expensive. Right? It was so expensive and was way beyond a budget. And we nearly signed for a small room in a hotel and that would have been exorbitant, but we nearly went for it because uh, we needed a place to meet. Now, I was praying, I was waiting upon God, I was asking around, trying to figure out what to do and we nearly signed. But before we signed with the hotel, one night, uh, out of the blue, I get a message on Facebook uh, by a pastor from a conservative church that I never met, I, I didn't know. And he just said to me, and I went to look up this message again. He says, Hi Z, I understand that you are starting a new church. 
we have a church facility in Red Hill. We're moving to another location to merge with another group. The unit is ready for the church to use. And basically he asked, do you want this unit? So I was shocked. I mean, like who in the world, right, at midnight, uh, messages another person and offers them a church venue? And how did he know that we were looking for a place? Well, he actually didn't. It was just at the right time that they were moving, merging with another group, and they had a two-year lease on a facility uh, that they needed to offload. So I met up with him. I was a bit skeptical. You know, I wondered if you know, this is one of those uh, get, it, get, get quick rich uh, schemes or something. So I met up with him, you know, was very skeptical, asked a lot of questions. But basically, it was very legit. Now, I was very honest with him. I said, look, you know, we are a small group. You know, we, we're not even properly registered yet. Uh, I'm not sure how much we can pay you. And so he said to me, pay me whatever you can. And so friends, for the next year, we ended up paying a token sum uh, to this church to use their venue. And that gave us the opportunity to grow and get more healthy in our finances and eventually be able to take over their lease. Now this place uh, around us that I'm speaking from is that place. It is a provision of God's grace. Now, we wouldn't have been able to do it uh, if it had not been for the kindness of this church and we'll be forever indebted to them. But God came at the right moment, gave us this place. We gave them an honorarium uh, for a whole year. We grew the church, grew our finances, and we were able to take over the lease. And we've been here for nearly three years now. Now, that is God moving in and acting on our behalf in our history. And that's something that we will hold dear as a church uh, for as long as we are. Now friends, even as we've been here for three years, in January of this year, before COVID-19, we found this current location to be getting a bit squeezy. Uh, we, it sits about a 90 or so, and we were finding that we were hitting about 80% of the capacity of this place. So we also started looking for another place. Now the same situation again, Everything seemed so expensive and beyond our reach, beyond our budget. We're looking at this place, that place, ballroom, uh, all kinds of seminar rooms. Some say you cannot, you church, you don't want you. And a lot of these different places. And, and we, 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 were, we were quite boggled by all of this. And then we found a place that we really liked. And we thought, wow, it would be so great if we were able to meet at this place. Uh, it's a co-working space at Funan Mall. And the new Funan Mall, right? It's been open about a year or so. And we said, well, how wonderful if we would be able to meet in this place. Now, there was already another church meeting there. And when we spoke to the owner, uh, they told us roughly how much that church uh, was uh, paying for the place. And we looked at the figures and we said, no way. No way we can afford this as a young church. And so we decided to ourselves, hey, let's just keep praying. Uh, but let's also just stay in touch with this new church, uh, with this venue. And let's give them a figure, an amount that we can afford and see what they say. So that's what we did. We prayed and we said, okay, this is the amount uh, we can judiciously and uh, cautiously uh, and with some faith afford. So we offered this sum uh, to the owner. Now, this is when COVID-19 was just picking up. And what we realized was that COVID-19 just changed the landscape immensely. What we found out was at the month that the lease, uh, that our lease is up, that is when 
this other church that was meeting in this current venue, in that venue, was moving out. So the timing was perfect. And the owner, who's a Christian, told us, I think this is of God. We have been praying for a new tenant and we're okay with the sum that you have offered. Another move of God in the history of our church. Now, I'm saying these things not to brag. You know, we, we are very clueless. You know, we, in a sense, we, we're just seeking uh, to be faithful to God, looking at the different opportunities, trying to be prudent, but we're trusting God that even as we fix our eyes on Him and we do His will, He will provide for us. So friends, even as we rehearse the mighty acts of God in the history of God's people, we cry out to God, renew them in our day, in our time, make them known. And as we pray to God, He will give us our own stories of our interactions with Him, of how He is faithful to us and He comes true to us. And the more we gather these stories in our lives, and the more we share these stories with others, the more we'll be encouraged that God is real and that He is active and that He is at work even when we cannot perceive it, even when we cannot see it. So friends, I want to encourage you this morning, even as you're going through the Bible, chapter by chapter as a church, such a great and wonderful opportunity for you to gaze again and rehearse the mighty acts of God and to pray with great faith that he would renew his mighty acts in your day, in your time, and in your life. But friends, Habakkuk didn't just rehearse the mighty acts of God. He moved beyond just the hand of God to the heart of God. He moved beyond just what God was doing to who God is. He also remembered who his God is. Come with me to verse 6. He said, this God is the one who measured the earth. He shook the nations. He scattered the mountains. He made the hills sink low. Look at verse 9. He split the earth with rivers. And verse 11 that we've already encountered, he made the sun and moon stand still. After he rehearsed the mighty acts of God, Habakkuk came to the place where he reminded himself of who his God is is. He reminded himself of the character of God. He reminded himself of the attributes of God. He reminded himself not just of the actions of God, but the personality of God. Who is this God? Charles Spurgeon once said, if you cannot trace the hand of God, you must trust his heart. And beyond seeing the acts of God in history, there will be times where it seems that God is silent, but his silence is not rejection, my friends. His silence is an opportunity for us, not just to trace his hands, but to trust his heart, to know who he is. And this is what Habakkuk does. He reminds himself, firstly, that God, his God, is powerful, measured the earth, split the earth with rivers, made the sun and the moon stand still. And friends, this is your God, a God of mighty power. Come with me to verse 3 and verse 4. Habakkuk says, His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Habakkuk is reminding himself again that this God that he serves is majestic 
and mighty. Not just powerful, but beautiful in his power. He is majestic. He's reminding his heart of the splendor and the majesty of God. And he is standing in awe and he is worshiping this God. Friends, your God is powerful. Your God is majestic. This is your God. Come with me then to verse 8. The back it says, Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers? Or your indignation against the sea? When you rode your horses on your chariot of salvation? Habakkuk is asking a rhetorical question. God, is your wrath against the rivers? Are you angry at your creation when you set forth your horses and your chariots? And the answer is no. Because even as God judges, we see here in verse 8, that the horses and the chariots are chariots of salvation. God is moving out in judgment and he will be moving out in judgment, but in order to save his people. His anger, his wrath, his indignation is against the wicked. He will make an end of all injustice. And therefore, friends, he is good. You know, we may have uh, non-Christians listening into this sermon and we think about all of this judgment language in the scriptures and we think, wow, you know, God must be such a horrible being. Why would you trust in a God like this? Now, friends, the fact that God is angry at injustice reveals that he's a good God. We see so many injustices as we open up our Facebook account or Instagram or whatever happening all around the world. Now, would you be a good person if you look at all these injustices and you said, never mind, lah. it doesn't matter, it doesn't concern me, I'm just a loving person? Would you really be a loving person if you look at the injustices in the world and you did nothing or you felt nothing? No. The very fact that you feel anger even at injustice, the very fact that you, you know something must be done means that you have a sense of right and wrong, of good and bad. And that, my friends, is what makes you or I human beings. What more our God, who is perfect in holiness, if he looks upon sin and he says, never mind, lah. Friends, that is not a good God. That is a frivolous God. But we have a God, Habakkuk shows us, who is just, which means that every injustice on earth will be dealt with in its time. And Habakkuk is reminding himself, at that juncture in his nation's history, yes, the Babylonians are wicked. Yes, we are, un we are also wicked. But God will be just. God will judge them even as he uses them to judge us. God is just. But fourthly, come with me to verse 2. Habakkuk appeals to God. He says, in your wrath, remember mercy. And look at verse 13. He says, you went out for the salvation of your people. Friends, this is a wicked people. This is a people that have denied God and turned away from Him. 
deserve his judgment. But here Habakkuk appeals to God. In your wrath, Lord, remember mercy. And he reminds himself, verse 13, that God goes out for the salvation of his people. And what kind of people are these? An obstinate, sinful, ungrateful people. And yet God says, I go out in judgment in order to save them. He's reminding himself again, friends, that God, his God, is merciful. So don't just rehearse the mighty acts of God as you look at the mighty acts of God. Remind yourselves. Remind yourselves of who your God is. When you cannot trace his hands, you must trust his heart. He is powerful. He is majestic. He is just. And he is merciful. When you see not just what God has done, but who he is, it moves you one step closer away from fear and to a place of unflinching faith. Finally, come with me to verse 16. Here, Habakkuk demonstrates the final step, the final piece that's needed if we are to have a kind of unflinching faith. Look at verse 16. Habakkuk says, My body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Habakkuk is saying here, after doing all of this, I tremble. I quiver. I feel like rottenness has entered my bones. I tremble before you. But yet, I will wait. I will wait for you to act, my God. And in verse 17, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no fruit, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Now in verse 17, Habakkuk mentions six things to illustrate to us the sense of severe loss that will come upon the nation of Judah, even as the Chaldeans come and invade. And each of these things that he shares gets worse and worse and worse. You see, if you look at verse 17, he begins with the fig tree. If the fig tree should not blossom. Now figs were delicacy in those days. So if you lost the figs, not really a big deal. You're losing something of a novelty to your diet. Then he says, no, the fruit on the vines. Now, the fruit of the vines are the grapes that they use to produce wine. It was drink. But again, it was a bit of a luxury, not really a daily necessity. So if you lost the figs and you lost the wine, again, no big deal. But then he says, the produce of the olive fail. And what did they use? The olives for. The olives were used to make cooking oil and lighting. Now it gets more serious. Because if you lose the olives, you lose the ability to cook. 
and you lose the ability to illuminate your households. They didn't have electricity in that time. So yeah, you lose some delicacies, no big deal. But now you, you, you lose the olives. You cannot cook and you cannot light up your houses. And then he says, the fields yield no food. Food. Now the fields were what yielded grains. And these grains were part of the staple diet. It's like what we eat here in Singapore, rice. That's our staple diet. And he's saying here, if the fields yield no food, there will be no grains. There will be no food to eat. Your staples are taken away. Just imagine in COVID-19, if all the supply chains were disrupted and we can no longer have rice or bread or potatoes. That, that is what Habakkuk is talking about here. Now, what if that is taken away? It gets worse. No more rice to eat. And then he says, the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Now the flock, these were the sheep that provided wool and meat. This was meant for food and clothing. And what Habakkuk is saying here is that they would be losing food and clothing. It gets worse and worse and worse. And he's saying, even if all of these things were to happen, even if all the supply chains to Judah were disrupted, they had no more delicacies, they had no more food, they had no more ability to cook, to light up their houses, they had no more ability to cover themselves in clothing, even if all of these things were to happen. Look at verse 18. He says, even if we lost everything, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. And verse 19, God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me to tread on high places. You see, friends, deer's in those times were known for their sure-footedness in high places. Places. You and I would not be able to scale the mountains, but the deers would. And Habakkuk is saying, God is the one who makes the deer sure-footed in difficult places. God is the one who will sustain Habakkuk in difficult places. Even if all of this disaster were to befall him and his nation, no more food to eat, no more clothes to wear, no more delicacies, even if all of this was taken away, yet will he trust in the Lord. Yet will he rejoice in the Lord because God is the one who sustains him and his people in difficult places. And friends, God is the same God who sustains you in difficult places. And friends, do you know this side of the cross of Jesus Christ, we have an even greater reason to trust than Habakkuk, the great prophet, had. Do you know why? Friends, because the greatest act, the mightiest act of God in history is not in sending the Chaldeans to judge his people. The mightiest and greatest act in human history is God sending Christ to save his people 
from their sins. Friends, why is it that through Christ, all of the Old Testament stories become your stories and my stories? Well, friends, because Christ is the one who fulfills the law on behalf. He's the one that receives the law and fulfills it on our behalf. And Christ, my friends, is the one who delivers us, not just from slavery, but from sin. And Christ is the one who defeats not just our physical enemies, but our greatest enemy, death. And you notice that when he died, Luke 23, 44 says that the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. The sun didn't just stand still when Christ died. The sun's light failed. In his death on the cross, God was accomplishing this great majestic miracle in saving his people from their sins. In Christ, friends, you see the power of God. In Christ, friends, you see the majesty of God. In Christ, friends, you see the justice of God. And in Christ, friends, you see the mercy of God coming together in beautiful Harmony in how he saves undeserving sinners like you and me. And friends, if that is what God has done in history, if that is his fame, if that is his renown, think of what he will do for you today. He has already saved you from your greatest enemy, sin, from death. He has secured you. And friends, the God who has saved you from your sins, the God who has secured you from death, is the same God that holds you now in the very palm of his hands. Let's pray.